Good morning. I want to thank you for allowing me the opportunity to be here. Um, as Kyle said, I'm the pastor of Vintage Church, and I am going to greatly miss fellowship with the saints of Vintage Church this morning, but I am also so thankful to be with the saints that God has brought um, to Cedarview Church, Cedarview Baptist Church. I'm so thankful to be here with you to worship our Lord together. If you hear me uh, say today, just as a means of warning, we have been going through Romans for the last few years. So if you hear me say, Paul said, just excuse me, because Paul has said a lot for the last few years for us. Uh, just all, if you see Paul, just go ahead and delete it and put the psalmist in your mind, okay? Because I've, as I've been thinking over this sermon in my mind, I've said Paul said a few times. So I'm worried, worried that I'm going to do that. Uh, also, uh, your pastor, I want you to know, is a dear friend of mine. Uh, he did not pay me for saying the words that I'm about to say, but he is such an encouragement to me. And I know that he has to be to you. And I know that things aren't always perfect. We're part of an imperfect church, but I know that he has to be an encouragement to you because he is such an encouragement to me. His humility and his grace, his kindness, his perspective... Uh, is something that has grown me and has strengthened me uh, as a believer. And I hope that you uh, trust that the Lord has brought you uh, a great man that is great for your body, and I hope that you feel as fondly as I do about him. Uh, today we're going to be in Psalm 115, and we're going to continue uh, in what I believe you guys have been doing over the last few weeks in the thought, in the ever-changing idea that salvation belongs to the Lord. Will you jump uh, right into the text with me, Psalm 115? I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness, why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens, and he does what he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak, eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear, noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel, feet, but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel... Trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the the great. May the, Lord give you in, may the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Will you pray with me this morning? 
Oh, great God. The God of the highest heavens who does what he pleases. Would you humble us before your sight this morning as we open your word? As we trust in your spirit for direction and the provision to understand, to comprehend, and to apply your great message to us. Lord, since we are of the full understanding that salvation is the Lord's, help us as people of God to give glory to no other. Would you change us? Would you mold us by your word? Would it strengthen our faith that we may walk more like you? We pray and ask these things in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. It's a strange time that we are living in. The world, I, I imagine every generation has thought this, but the world seems like it's in greater chaos than, than ever before. Just in the last year or so, we have gone through countless contentious moments just in our country, um, whether it be the election or coronavirus. I know that that's worldwide, but uh, whatever it may be, we have gone through countless contentious moments in our country. And as a matter of fact, not only that, but we have had to deal with the everyday struggles of just being a human, right? We have to deal with sickness. We have to deal with loss. We have to deal with physical needs being met or not met. We have to deal with mental anguish, sorrow. The list goes on. And all of these can cause great fear. All of these things, I think, can cause great worry about this present time, but also if you have children or grandchildren, it can cause you to worry about the future. Anytime, but especially during times of serious trials, it is essential for us as believers to remember that salvation belongs to the Lord. When we understand completely what that means, it will transform us more like his son, into the image of his son. When we understand that salvation belongs to the Lord, we hope a little less in what we see and we place more hope in that which we cannot see. Understanding that salvation is completely the Lord's can shift our desires, our focus into proper perspective. This Knowledge should and will completely change the object of our trust. And really trust is the entire thrust of Psalm 115. Trust in the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And as we begin to see this truth, we, begin, we can begin to live everly, ever increasingly for Him. I hope in a helpful way today I have... Uh, under the idea that salvation belongs to the Lord, I have broken down Psalm 115 into four what I think applicable points for you today. If you like keeping an outline, um, basically my outline is point number one, salvation belongs to the Lord, and then A, B, C, D uh, are the points underneath that. If you're that. I'm not that organized, but I've learned over time that some people are, and so that's helpful. Um, so the first point of application from Psalm 115 that we can see as it pertains to salvation belonging to the Lord is that we are to ascribe glory to Him. Ascribe glory to the Lord. 
The first verse in Psalm 115 says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Ascribe glory to the Lord. This is literally direct our glory and our praise to the Lord. Giving glory to the Lord, friends, is and if not should be the ultimate goal in the life of every believer. And we see the psalmist saying this, not to us, but to you be the glory. This is important. It's not only something we should do, give glory to the Lord, but it should be an overflow. It should be something that naturally flows out of us because of the Holy Spirit indwelling in our lives. Proper praise, glory to the Lord should flow out of us because of the Holy Spirit's indwelling in our lives. And when proper praise flows out of God's people, it is a sure sign and evidence of the sincerity of our salvation in our life. Ascribing glory to the Lord was the first lesson taught in the Lord's Prayer. And you need to know this if you don't already. The Lord's Prayer is a lesson. The disciples said, teach us how to pray. And the Lord said, okay, I will. When you pray, pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, how does it go next? Hallowed, right, holy be your name. He is ascribing in the Lord's Prayer the first words of our prayer Jesus is giving his disciples when the disciple says teach me how to pray he is describing to them a prayer that ascribes glory to the Lord when you pray pray like this deflecting glory to the Lord should be the goal and ultimate purpose of every believer When we pray, hallowed be your name, we are not only praising God, but we are rewiring our minds to be in tune with the glory of the Lord. We are begging God to relieve us of all glory and begging him to take our lives as an offering to his glory. Not to us, but to your name. Be the glory. What we find, friend, is that, friends, is that deflecting glory to the Lord is actually what true worship of God is. It's not just something, giving glory to the Lord is not just something an athlete does when he wins a prize or an award. I want to thank, first thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, right? Giving glory to the Lord is not something that just an athlete does. It's not something that we do when God rewards us with a financial windfall or with a job or with some wonderful thing that comes along in our lives. It is not something that we just do in prosperity, but it is also something we do in want. Paul told us this in Philippians, and I was actually meaning to say Paul right there. He told us this in Philippians. I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I've learned how to be brought low. I've learned how to abound in any and every circumstance. I understand, I can do, and we take this out of context often, but I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Glory to the Lord is the goal of every believer, but it must come not only in times of prosperity, it must come in years like 2020. This psalm, as a matter of fact, was written as the Jews were leaving Babylonian captivity. So it wasn't like they were in a moment of prosperity as they are saying, ascribe glory to the Lord, not to us, but to your name. Be the glory. Friends, in want, in need, in plenty, glory 
is the Lord's. And it is the natural outflow of a life changed by the Holy Spirit. Not to us, but to your name be the glory. Lord, be the glory in my salvation because salvation belongs to the Lord. That means that all of salvation, He is the Alpha, the Omega. He is the beginning of our salvation. He is the end of our salvation. He is responsible for it. And when we see Him as responsible completely and entirely for our salvation, the only response is not Praise to us, Lord, but to your name be the glory. We give him the glory in our salvation. We give him the glory in our marriage. We are men who love our wives as Christ loves the church, and we are women who submit to, the, uh, to our husbands as the church does to the Lord. And together we make a team that raises up children that are image bearers to the glory of the Lord. We are, we are sharpening little swords. We are making little arrows that will fight the enemy, little image bearers to the glory of the Lord. We not only do that, but we glory the Lord in our jobs. People should know that we are believers by the way we interact in the public square. Our jobs, we bring glory to the Lord. We give glory to the Lord in the way we spend our free time, in the way we have our conversations, which, friends, we might want to consider a little bit more that we will give account of every idle word to God. So our conversations are even a means of ascribing glory to the Lord. In our private life, in our thought life, on our browser history, in our Netflix history, what we're watching, what we're viewing on TV, what we're seeing on the Internet is a means of giving glory to the Lord. And at the beginning of this psalm, the beginning of this psalm, we are, the psalmist says, Lord, take the glory from me and take it upon yourself as an offering, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Something else we must know as we consider salvation belongs to the Lord is not only should we just ascribe glory to him, but we should swear allegiance to him. We should swear allegiance to him. Look at 115 one more time, or not one more time, but at least another time. Our God is in the heavens. Uh, why, why should the nations, verse 2, say, where is your God? Our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. But their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. Not only do we give glory to the great God, but we give glory to the only God. We recognize that there is no other God and we swear allegiance to him. He is our God. The Jews in this time, as I said, were leaving Babylonian captivity and so they would have seen this polytheistic Babylonian worship. They would have seen how they worship multiple gods. They would have seen how those idols were carved with their own hands. There was a tremendous amount of of idolatry and they were just under captivity and so there's this mocking tone in verse 2 they say the Babylonians those who worship other gods they say where is your God we've conquered you you are constantly in distress you are constantly in trouble where is your God why is he not rescuing rescuing you what is he doing that first part of verse 2 is a mock they're trying to mock God You've lost. We've won. 
Friends, the nations scoff at the Lord. There is this constant demonic derision for the Lord and His people. Have you ever wondered why no one can just be indifferent towards Christians? Because there is a demonic derision. Because there is only one true God. And all other gods are an attempt to usurp His authority. But equally, in a sarcastic way, the psalmist mocks their God. Where is their God, they said. Our God is in the heavens. He does what He pleases. Where is your God? Well, your God's made with your own hands. Your God has has a mouth but cannot speak, has ears but cannot hear. Where is your God? If they are so powerful, why didn't they, if your gods are so powerful, why couldn't they form themselves? Why can't they protect themselves from marauders? Why can't they shoo the wildlife off of them as they perch on their shoulders or clean up after them with what they've left on their shoulders? It's funny how there's always someone that is needed to clean the poop off of the idols. Don't you think if an idol was strong enough to conquer the world, to cover the world, to help the world, that he would be able to clean his own self? He would be able to keep the birds off of him? Where is your God? Our God is in the heavens, but your God, he has mouth. they They were made by you, first of all, which automatically makes your gods, your idols, less than you. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see, ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell, hands but do not feel, and feet but do not move. Not a sound comes from their throats. To which I would say, friends, the silence of all other gods loudly proclaims the supremacy of ours. Our God was not made by human hands. Therefore, He is not bound and determined to the human will. He spoke the world into existence. He saw us before we were formed in our mother's womb. (coughs) He hears our cries. He smells the great fragrance of the aroma of the offering of our lives to the saint of the saints. His hands and his feet are forming us into His image daily. Their gods can't speak, hear, move. Our God is actively doing all that He pleases. So what do we need to know about swearing allegiance to the Lord? Friends, any substitute will only disappoint. Any substitute God, any substitute idol will only disappoint. God can use the good gifts of this earth to His glory. He will use the good gifts of this earth to His glory. But He won't if we find glory in the gift and not the giver. Our jobs, our homes, our gadgets, our social media, our worldly approval, God can use all of those things to His glory. But He won't if we find our joy, our glory in them. Giving glory, friends, to anyone else or anything else, but God is active obedience. You need to understand that. 
Spending more time on the computer or on the television, spending more time at work, spending more time with your family at the ball field than, than introducing the things of God, the gospel of God, is not passive disobedience. It is active obedience. It is active disobedience to surrendering to Jesus, to swearing allegiance to Him. Giving glory to anything else is active disobedience. But another thing we need to understand about swearing allegiance to God is that we are what we worship. Look at verse 8. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust them. Friends, we will become what we will become like what we put our hope in, our trust in, our time in, our love in, and our energy into. Our children will become what we put our hope in, our trust in, our time in, our love in, and our energy into into. And anything that we hope in, trust in, love in, and place our time in and our energy into, more than or on the same level as God, is an idol. As we allow idols to form in our lives, friends, it changes our worldview. It changes our dreams and our aspirations and our expectations for the future. We are what we worship. And friends, if we stack up for ourselves idol after idol after idol, what do we see about the idols in Psalm 115? They are silent. They cannot move. They have no emotion. They serve no hope and no future for us. And guess what? It's not just them. We become like them. When we stack up idols in our lives, we not only cherish them and love them, but we become like them. Having a mouth, but not saying anything of spiritual significance. Having hands, but not doing work of any spiritual significance. Having feet, but not putting them to the use of the gospel or any spiritual significance. Anything we love, put our time in, put our hope in, put our trust in, put our future in, more than God is an idol. Friends, we are little mirrors. The Bible calls us image bearers. We cannot shine light in and of ourselves. We only reflect the image that we are pointed at. We only reflect the image that we are pointed toward. Where is your allegiance? What is the reflection that God sees, most importantly? What is the reflection that others see? Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. The psalmist has a solution. Don't trust in these things. Some trust in chariots, but what? We trust in the name of the Lord our God. So see here, the psalmist has a solution. Trust him. The psalmist gets into the main thrust of our text. Trust in the Lord. The foundation of the Christian life from our perspective is built on our trust in the Lord. Who is to trust in the Lord? Israel is to trust in the Lord. Aaron is to trust in the Lord. And all those who fear him. It includes a calling to everyone ever, but specifically those who belong 
to the Lord. Friends, it is impossible for an unbeliever to trust in the Lord unless the Holy Spirit save him. But it is also impossible for a believer who has been saved by the Holy Spirit to live the vast majority of his life or her life without placing their trust in the Lord. Why do we trust him? Psalm 115 says he is our help and our shield. Idols give us nothing. All idols that are are just temporary or worldly comforts that only give temporary relief or happiness. The Lord gives us the fullness of himself. He gives us the fullness of his grace, of his mercy, of his compassion, of his love, of truth, of the spirit. A big bank account or a life insurance policy may give some security for your family when you die, but it isn't eternal. When Solomon was looking back at his illustrious life, he even had these thoughts. He thought about everything that he had worked for, and he wrote this in Ecclesiastes 2, 21-22. Because sometimes a person who is toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone else who did not toil for it. This is also vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? We toil, friends, and someone else reaps the reward. But not if we trust in the Lord. Not if we toil for a spiritual inheritance instead of a worldly one. So the question we must ask ourselves is, are we working to secure the souls of our loved ones? Or are we working to secure their earthly security? The inheritance that we work towards should be a spouse that trusts the Lord and is our teammate, our co-laborer in the gospel. A spouse that fears Him. Children that trust the Lord and fear Him. A lineage of future heavenly descendants. We often say, I, we ha, we, I see people all the time that say, I don't know what happened to my children. You know, train up a child in the way it should go. He should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. I don't know what happened to my children. And there's a little bit of out of context there too. But, but also, but also, we train up our children in television. And we train up our children in sports. And we train up our children in all of these things. And what we're doing is we're planting little. And all of these things in and of themselves are not bad. So don't. Don't go there, please. That's not what I'm saying. But we train them up in all of these things. We prioritize those things. And then we drop them off in a Sunday school class. Or, or maybe we, they're a part of a Bible study or a youth ministry. But in our homes, we focus on their education and we focus on other things. And they are being trained up to go just as they end up going. Friends, the most important thing you can do in trusting in the Lord is trust for your own life and then be gospel proclaimers and gospel spreaders to the rest of the world. It should be the only super spreader we should be happy about. How do we strive for this spiritual inheritance? We learn to fear God and we instill instill that in our family. We have to know who the God of the Bible is. We have to know Him from Scripture. We have to know that we are destined for hell without Him. That the wrath of God is on all who do not trust in Him. We have to know what He has done for us. How He has saved us. How He 
descended into this earth. He condescended. He became man. He lived a perfect life. He died on a cross. He rose again to pay the penalty for our sins, to take on the wrath that belongs to us. And then, friends, this is vastly important. It's not just a knowledge, but we have to form our entire being around that knowledge as well as we can. We place Christ as preeminent in our lives. We make God's priorities our priorities. The gospel is a priority to us because it's a priority to God and His Spirit indwells us and He conveys that to us. Sharing the gospel, knowing the gospel. Church gathering is a priority to us because the souls, the Holy Spirit that belongs in us causes our soul to long to be with the other souls where the Holy Spirit is indwelling. Church gathering is an overflow of the Holy Spirit in our life. Scripture is important to us. As we make Christ preeminent, we do our best not to promote more than or equal to any person, place, thing, or activity on the same level as God. We act wise with the gifts that He has given us. Psalm 115 says, He will bless those that fear Him, both small and great. Friends, may I give you some assurance? God did not choose you because you were highly favored. He did not choose you because you were highly skilled or super intelligent. He chose you out of the riches and the abundance of His grace based on no merit of His own. Subsequently, He has given us everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness. And the psalmist says He has blessed both great and small. He expects a lot out of us, no matter if we expect little out of ourselves. He expects a lot out of us because He has given every believer the abundance of Himself at salvation. Now, those things might show up more predominantly or prevalently in some others than they may you. And you may have characteristics that show up differently than in Kyle. But God has given all of us, great and small, what we need to truly surrender our lives, to truly trust Him. And He expects us to do the best we can with what He has given us to the glory of the Lord. What are the results of trusting in the Lord this way? Psalm 115, may the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord. Spiritual abundance, immense and indescribable peace, heavenly security, not just for you, but from generation to generation, the Lord will be faithful to his children. Not just for you, but for your spouse, for your children, and for your children's children. And to all of this, we can take our last point and we can say, praise Him. Since salvation belongs to the Lord, praise Him. Look at verse 16. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth He has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down in silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Praise is the appropriate response for a believer, an overwhelming sense of gratitude. All idols are dead 
Even if they feel alive to us, they are dead. So any praise to an idol in our lives is unworthy praise. All those who do not trust the Lord, do not fear the Lord, are dead. Even if yet they are not physically dead. But those who trust the Lord are alive forevermore. And their lives go on as a living testimony and praise to the glory of God and the work that only He can do. His goodness. Their praise tells the testimony of the greatest love story ever written. A God who since the beginning of time has had a plan to redeem his children. And even when he, gave, he set us up to obey him in the Garden of Eden, we could not obey. We chose in our free will to abandon God. Instead of eternally abandoning us, which was his rightful decision to make, he made a way, again, before the foundations were set, he made a way of salvation. And in the fullness of time, Jesus Christ came to earth to live for us, to serve God, to serve the church, to die as the ultimate sacrifice, a death he did not deserve, take on a wrath that was not his, to be fully dead and fully buried, and through the power of the Holy Spirit to raise from the dead. And friends, you could think it wouldn't get better from there, but it does. Because He not only is risen from the dead, but He has left us with the Helper, the Holy Spirit. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead resides in us. And we can live abundantly and dynamically in that power. And the only result for someone who claims to belong to Christ is proper praise. What else, after hearing that, can come from our mouth but praise? Is there any bad thing that God can throw our way, which typically is meant for our, uh, our growth, right, our development? Is there any bad thing that can come our way that trumps the glory of God and salvation, that overwhelms or overlooks or overpowers or belittles when we understand the glory of God and salvation, the only natural response for a believer is praise. Praise even in those times that don't even uh, amount to anything as compared to what God has given us in salvation. In closing, friends, we must ask ourselves, are we a living testimony of salvation that belongs to the Lord? Is our life evidence of praise? Are we living this great redemption story out in our life that can only cause us to be people of praise? And I ask you this next question, not to guilt you, but I want us to be introspective in this because trust me, I am every day or I try to be every day in my life. I want to ask you this question. If your friends were asked to describe you, how many descriptors would they use before they got to Christian, believer. Would it be Ole Miss fan? Don't boo if you're not. Would it be hard worker? Would it be doctor? Would it be real estate agent? Would it be friend? How many words 
Would the people that know you use to describe you before they got to child of God? Instrument of praise. Mirror of the image of God. Over time, Christians must look more like Jesus. Because we are only mirrors. And we reflect what we worship. Since salvation is the Lord's, let us trust in Him today. Cast all else away that we may reflect the image of God the Father, the redemption and the redemption of His Son, and the seal through the power of the Holy Spirit. Pray with me. Oh God, that we be image bearers of Christ and Christ alone. That we would fashion our lives around the glory of the Lord. That we would swear allegiance to Him because He is trustworthy and that that would lead to a life of praise. God, would you be preeminent in our lives? We praise you, Lord. We glorify your name. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.